Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and horse enthusiasts. Please remember with each topic we discuss that your horse is an individual and you should seek professional advice before implementing any strategies. This week, we are looking at an article by Rosalie jones McVeigh, and it's a study she carries out, an ethnographic account of the British equestrian virtue of bravery and its implications for equine welfare. And this is one that was recommended to us by a listener. And it's a very interesting one to read because an ethnographic study, first of all, is relating to a scientific description of people, culture, customs, habits, and looking at the differences that lie there. So it's qualitative as a study and doesn't really get into statistical analysis of, um, you know, why, how many people behave this way or how prevalent it is. But what was really interesting about this article is it came out in 2021. So we're only in March, early stages of March. So it's brand new. And it's in a way a little bit disheartening that these behaviors still continue in the equine industry. So a common thread throughout it is, you know, people belittling people that aren't brave in the equestrian world or seem to be timid or, you know, like the horses winning over them was also the rhetoric that came through. And I think, and Nancy, you agree that it's just kind of shocking in 2021 that this is still going on, you know, with how aware we've become of bullying and the importance of like supporting people, you know, we're still seeing instructors shouting at students to try and get an outcome that they want. This paper left me speechless. I First off, it's at a middle-of-the-road stable, and this woman uh, became a boarder herself so she could become a part of the social community of that barn. And what she observed... I just, I don't know what to say. I mean, in any other realm of work or school or anything, you would not put up with bullying or ridicule or anything that, I mean, it, it's just unacceptable. And I just was appalled. And the one instance was a 64-year-old well-known trainer that in the paper they called her Christine, belittled and yelled at and ridiculed a 26-year-old female rider to the point that she cried. I was just like, you know, you're, you're making the same amount of money whether you are mean to a person or belittling or tearing them down why don't you do more to boost their confidence and serve that individual and serve their horse as well by making them more successful or more confident, which we did that um, podcast on psychological factors of equine performance. And that brought 
to the core or to the forefront how the emotional well-being of a rider affects the horses. So if you're upsetting the riders by yelling at them and tearing them down, that's not going to help the whole human horse dyad that's performing or trying to be a team. And that affects every horse that's in that lesson. You know, like shouting at one person, first of all, you're going to have terrible results from that horse and rider for the rest of the lesson. And I think it is a rare person who gets shouted and roared at and comes out the other side and then is incredible afterwards. I I mean, speaking from experience, I've been in that position. Um, I've, I've never cried in the arena. I don't know if that's really something to be proud of. But I've definitely <laughs> had many times where I've left a lesson and felt so low. And I think that's reading this paper that really made me realize that that is why I shied away from competition a lot and it was easier and I've said it in so many podcasts but in everyday life I'm not very competitive I only really compete with myself I don't like to compete with other people but definitely equestrian wise it was easier for me to just step back from all of that pressure and to try and remove myself from having to have these interactions where you would have an instructor, you know, treat you that way. And the problem is to, I mean, certainly this was in the 90s and the 2000s, early 2000s, but then, you know, we're still learning, we're still evolving. And I would hope that those people that I encountered in the past don't still teach that way. I would hope that they've changed and they take a more supportive approach because it never helped me. I mean, in one instance, I remember being taken off my horse which I owned at the time and I was boarding at the yard and having another person who had paid to come to a lesson just as I had told to get up on my horse and to do what I wasn't able to do to prove to me that it was me that was the problem and not the horse I mean that never I didn't ever get back on that horse and feel like okay I'm the problem oh what a relief you know? I, mean. <laughs> I, I just got up on the horse and I thought I want the ground to swallow me up I can't believe I have 20 more minutes in this lesson I can't believe I paid for this to be treated this way and then it was an absolute battle to come back again the next time it was just I think I was such a shy kid that did not set me up for success in any way in horse riding and I think it doesn't do well to promote equestrianism overall to anyone. I think it's, it's demeaning. And I was just, and then I was really upset when that rider at the end of the lesson was blaming herself that she deserved that kind of treatment and that uh, she had to teach her horse that, that horse couldn't get away with those dirty stops. And I mean, we know from research how a horse's brain works. It's not that the horse is laughing at you, trying to be defiant. It's your the what cues you're giving that horse and the reward system that you're setting up. It's just crazy that this still goes on in 2021. I, I just shake my head and think, 
I don't think it's as, I think racing, we are far less judgmental of each other than what um, this paper um, kind of denotes. And this was a, a British study um, in Britain, but you know what? I think it probably applies worldwide. I think so, because it definitely, like, growing up in the south of Ireland, it's something I encountered in numerous different, like, rising schools. So I think it's something that probably is prevalent. But I am, I'm just surprised it's still that prevalent. I would have thought that instructors would breeze up on, you know, how to actually teach someone something, you know, because back then it was simple. Well, we need the horse to move this way. You move your leg that way. You do this. But we know now, like we've so much more knowledge about how children learn and not every child learns the same way. And you have to take different approaches and you can't, you know, just shout and say, well, I know the horse can do it. Like we all know that the horse has done it before, but whether the person's understanding what's being asked of them is the disconnect. And the minute you raise your voice and you start shouting at someone, you're not going to get the point across. Like they're not going to, that just shuts down communication. And we know that now as well. Like effective communication does not involve shouting at each other. But what was also interesting in this is that there was another person in the yard who felt like there was something wrong with their horse and they were, um, diagnosis seeking so they were trying to find oh is this the problem no maybe this is the problem and they were almost they were looked down on because everyone in the yard felt like it was their poor riding that was causing the bad behavior in the horse it wasn't an issue with the horse to the point where when the horse was eventually diagnosed with stomach ulcers people in the yard still disregarded that and said no it was the rider you know that's not an answer for why this behavior has been happening. And they looked down on her as being fearful in trying to make excuses why she couldn't ride the horse. And for me, it's a horse welfare concern. If you feel there's something physically wrong with your horse, it's your duty to get a veterinarian in there that can diagnose what's going on or at least pursue a diagnosis. But think how many people, as this paper mentions, would either get rid of that horse or euthanize it for it being dangerous because of the behavior it was exhibiting. So that it's all such a welfare concern when the horses are not taught. Um, They're teaching the horses like cookie cutter horses. Each horse is as individual as their rider or owner is as well. So it just, I don't know, cried to me a very, very, um, not taking any evidence-based learning into or learning theory into effect at all at any of, of these instances. And even the one lady had the dressage runoff in the dressage arena. And they said her way of coping with that was to create this whole scenario, almost like a, an episode from a, a fiction show. And she exaggerated it to the point that at the end, she got the horse in a frame and she was the victor. And I'm just thinking it's not about anybody being the victor. It's working as a team. And she very much looked back on it that that horse 
had a history of doing that behaves this way, but I overcame it, as you said. But mm-hmm. where is the reflection to what is causing this and how do we improve? Yeah. That was just lost. It was more a tale of how she overcame this horse's behavior and not how do we improve this for the horse. And it's like taking negative reinforcement and turning it into to punishment by never releasing. Maybe that's why the horse was running off with its head up because she, it was never finding out that release and that reward of knowing what they wanted from it. So a learning theory was is just throwing out the window. Because I thought that was very interesting where she said the horse always resisted contact and would pull the reins (laughs) through her hands. So she thought to herself, I'm not letting you away with this and really held firm. And then the horse threw its head like a giraffe, as it says, and bolted. But I mean, you're obviously applying too much pressure. That horse's mouth is in pain. And it's tried to pull down and pull down and release the pressure. And now it's had to throw its head right up to get relief from it and try and run from it. And that's just completely missed. And it's like next time that person's probably going to go into the arena and start off with more forceful pressure because they think the horse resists contact. But you're not finding that sweet spot of what's comfortable for them while keeping that line of communication with your hands. It was just crazy. And then I cannot, we cannot not mention about the lifestyle that she found within this population. It was um, smoking, eating junk food, drinking black coffee, not taking care of yourself. And if you get injured, the doctor may say, you know, take time off and they wouldn't listen. They would continue to put their body at risk of, Um, being damaged because of this horse lifestyle. And that just really, I can kind of see some of that in horse disciplines, all horse disciplines, where you can't stay away from the barn. But the thing that really brought it home to me is the lady that was in a thigh high plaster cast still leading horses and pushing a wheelbarrow cleaning stalls I mean to me that I was just there like what if you damaged your leg so badly in the healing process that scar tissue formation then made it painful for you to horse ride for the rest of your life because you couldn't take a couple of weeks off as doctor recommended. You would risk the thing you loved for the rest of your life to make a point that you're stronger than what they say. And that was the thing. They looked down on the softer types that needed warmth, comfort, that needed food during the day. You know, we need to fuel our bodies and treat them right. And it was just mind blowing. Even she said that, An article came out in Horse and Hound, which is the oldest equestrian weekly magazine in the UK. And it always has, you know, sensational pieces in it as well. But in one of the articles that came out, they were talking about Michael Young, which was the German Olympic medalist. And he was a world champion eventer. And he was 
rising in, I believe it was an event in the UK. I think they said Burley, which is one of the world's toughest events in 2015. And he broke his ankle during the event on his first horse. And then he continued on his second horse with a broken ankle and finished the event, which is just blew my mind because they were reveling in it and they were saying how amazing he was and really hyping. That's what you need to be. You need to have that kind of gumption and you need to have that kind of resilience. And I'm just thinking in my head, like he must have had so much adrenaline going through his veins that he didn't know his ankle was broken. I don't think he went through that feeling that pain and just thought I'll keep going. And I know there are people that do and you know, I've read stories about marathon runners that have sustained fractures and kept going and things like that. And I just think that's not me. <laughs> I would be like waving the flag. Well, I, I think that, you know, for long-term health, you've got to take care of yourself. And I would probably be in the horse hugger category because they would make fun of people who were horse huggers. <laughs> <laughs> I would be in that category because I stay physically fit by doing other exercise activities that don't involve horses. And then I also am, I'm kind of picky on my nutrition. So I'm not a junk food eater. I don't try to stay away from sugar. And I think that probably I fit the horse hugger category, but I, I'm kind of proud of that. I wouldn't, you know, they think rudeness and stoicism is the way to be, but I, I disagree. I think we can all try to respect one another and, and get along without belittling one another and being in a constant competitive spirit. I mean, we all have to come together as an equine community to in to guard the welfare of the horses and to do what's right by them. And if we're fighting amongst ourselves, that's not going to do very well for the horses in the long term. Definitely. And I think, I mean, we have to be conscious as well of our nutrition. I know they said that often they were skipping meals um, and smoking, which traditionally kind of gives you the view of someone that's probably pretty lean if they're not eating because end of the day, calories in versus calories out is the science, even though there's plenty of institutions that will make money off selling tips and tricks. <laughs> but I think <laughs> if you're eating a lot of junk food, and you do, I mean, even if you're not eating during the day and you're smoking, okay, you might be lean, but it doesn't mean that you have sufficient muscle and the weight that's on your body could still be fat to muscle. You know, that ratio might still be off. And for us to rise effectively, you know, we need to be strong to hold ourselves, not to hold the horse. That's what I always think in my head. Like we're not being strong to try and corral this horse and to try and get the better of them, but to hold our weight in the saddle and be able to ride effectively and give those leg aids effectively and, you know, not kind of be bouncing all around the place because after a half an hour, our core is giving out and we can't, you know, maintain our structure. And I think that that maybe plays a big part in human safety. You know, if you're fit enough, you help your horse 
and then you help yourself as well. You're going to maybe do better in surviving a fall or without injury if you know how to roll or you're flexible because you take good care of yourself and you eat right, keep hydrated. And um, it, it was just, and, and I do want to point out, this was one barn uh, in Britain, so it's not representative of every barn, but I'm kind of like, I think it's time the equestrian community kind of catch up that this is 2021. We know so much more uh, as far as research goes, and we know so much more about our own fitness and what our needs are as far as lifestyle goes. And I think if you are an instructor that's listening, or even if you're like obviously into horses and you're listening, just try and have a little bit of reflection over the next couple of weeks of how you approach different scenarios. Do you find in yourself you have that bias where you look at people in the riding school or in the barn as being weaker for being a particular way? Or it would just be really interesting for people to get in touch and let us know what you think about this one, because I think this is a great topic for debate. But definitely, if you're in teaching in any capacity and you are resorting to shouting at people or, you know, breaking people, and maybe it does come from, you know, we say breaking a horse when we train them, just try and have a little bit of reflection on how you're approaching that and see, can you improve? Because that's the thing that me and Nancy find every week that we read a paper. It gives us knowledge we didn't already have, and it's something we can then carry forward and use again and improve upon. And you always want to benefit someone's confidence and their ability with horses. I think the one instructor that was belittling the lady, I mean, what does that get anybody? It just maybe made the instructor feel better about herself, but there's problems there yeah. when you have to do that. And um, I would just say there's a great equine coach, Lisa Ashton. She's in Britain and she wrote a book called Horse Welfare from Inside Out. I think it's like four pounds, 99 pence. Am I saying that right, Kate? Yep. Okay, I'm getting good. <laughs> and anyway, you can order it electronically at her website. And it's a good read about when we benefit one another and build one another up and accept each other's diversity and differences, we end up helping the horse welfare, you know, overall, all the horses and the people and work is one. And I think that's the main thing that for me that came out of this paper is, oh my God, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be ridiculing anyone. We each are on this journey with our horses and it's not about um, the end result. It's that journey and what we do along the way and the people we affect along the way. Definitely. And next time anyone is going to their horse yard, maybe bring a fruit basket with you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> bring some healthy snacks and leave them out for yeah. everyone else i think be more positive and and your horses will benefit from it too so well this was a good one i want to thank the listener that recommended this it was different because it was not scientifically written it 
it wasn't in that um, that mode with statistics and it used pronouns. Um, it was different read. It was more like a narrative or a journal or a reflection than it was a scientific paper. So it, it was definitely um, a different read for us. That one was from Jenny on Instagram. So thank you, Jenny, for sending that in. Yep. And any other requests, definitely send them our way. If you do have an opinion on this one this week, then let us know. You can get us on Facebook or Instagram, or you can send us some audio recordings if you go onto the Anchor website and type in Conversations in Equine Science. That would be great to get some messages on your thoughts about your experiences at your boarding barn. That would be great. And maybe we'll find some positive ones too. That would be brilliant. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Kate. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Nancy. Take care. Bye-bye.